Good morning. It's uh, been a great series this summer, and this morning we're going to uh, continue on and take a look at one of the most important ways that God refreshes us, comes into our lives, and does that, and it revolves around the word rejoice. Why don't you turn with me to Philippians chapter 4 and follow along. I'm going to read verses 4 to 7, and a familiar passage, as so much of Paul's writing is, but it um, will speak to us this morning, I'm sure, especially around the idea of rejoicing. Philippians 4, for rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Neil Plantiga, in his very helpful but difficult to read book, predominantly on sin, uh, it's entitled Not the Way It Was Supposed to Be, says this about the whole idea of rejoicing and peace, and he captures it all as the ancient Hebrews did in the word Shalom. Listen to what he writes. The webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice and fulfillment and delight is what the Hebrew prophets called shalom. We call it peace. But it means far more than mere peace of mind or a ceasefire between enemies. In the Bible, Shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight, a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts fruitfully employed, a state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder at its creator and savior as he opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. And here's the question for you this morning. Are you experiencing life the way it ought to be this morning? Or is there something missing? As you look back over yesterday, uh, over this past week, over this past summer, over the past number of years, is your life the way it ought to be? Or is there something missing? Is there, is there something wrong? Well, if it's the latter, I'm willing to bet this morning that what is missing is joy. Joy. God created you to experience joy. And, and what is joy? Well, as I thought about it this past week and, and, and chased down a number of avenues and read the myriad of, of passages in Scripture about joy, I, I couldn't come up with a real succinct working definition. And, and I would challenge you to, to work on that yourself. What exactly is joy? If in fact there's something missing in your life, and if in fact that missing piece is joy, what is joy? What is really that missing piece in your life? Well, Scripture talks about it an often a uh, number of times, over 200 in fact, in Scripture. It is one of the fruits of the Spirit. It is something that God apparently 
is something that he created you and me for. And he gives it to us. Nehemiah 8.10 wraps it up. It says, the joy of the Lord, the joy that belongs to the Lord, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And he so desires to give it to you and to me. And he does. But here's the deal. We take it, it seems to me, and we, we walk away from it. It's one of those gifts that God gives us, joy, and we walk away from it. And we do that for a variety of reasons in a myriad of ways. But the good news is that God desires to restore our joy, that he doesn't give up on us. He comes to us, we who are joyless, and he restores our joy. In fact, it's not a word, but I'll use it this morning. He rejoices us. God brings us joy. He puts joy in our hearts. We walk away from it, and he restores it. It's like joy, joyless, rejoy. C.S. Lewis captures this progression so well in a little quote from his book entitled, appropriately enough, Surprised by Joy. And he's talking about his own conversion here, going from uh, no joy, something was definitely missing and he didn't really know what that was, to a life of joy, of being rejoyed. He says it wasn't emotional. In fact, he says it wasn't emotional at all. It wasn't an emotional experience for him, going from no joy. And, and you know what that's like. You know what that feels like to, to a life of joy. He tried to describe it. He describes it this way as only C.S. Lewis can. It was more like when a person, after a long sleep, still lying motionless in bed, becomes aware that he is now awake. You've had that experience, a great long night's sleep, and there's this moment where you discover you're now fully awake. It was more like C.S. Lewis said when a person who was created to experience joy after a long sleep, no joy, still lying motionless in bed, becomes aware that he is now awake. He's been rejoyed. Something is totally different. Lewis continues later in Surprised by Joy. And if you haven't read that book, I commend it to you this morning by saying this. Life is a time of celebration. I encourage you to soak it all in. The service, the company, the food, the meaning, everything. Do it consciously and with care. Pause, rest, reflect. Don't underestimate the power and importance of joy and celebration. It should be our perpetual way of life. We shouldn't be folks too rushed to say hello or too beaten to bless, but a people recalling joy. A people recalling joy. A people that again and again are rejoyed. That's what God created us to be. But all too often we, we lose it. We, we kill it off. 
And it happens in a variety of ways. Let me share a couple with you that I thought of this past week. One of the great joy killers, obviously, is, is sin in our own brokenness. When we ask the question of ourselves and our hearts, how could I? How could I? Adam and Eve, a great example of, of sin and brokenness ruining their joy. They were in the Garden of Eden. They were in, in heaven on earth. And God said, of course, do whatever you like. Eat apples off of any tree. All of them. There's thousands of trees. Just all I'm asking is not that one. Just not that one. And of course they do. And their lives are changed forever because their joy became lost by their own sin and disobedience. Sin is culpable disturbance of our peace and our shalom, writes Neil Plantinga. And so it is. And he goes on to describe sin this way. Sin possesses appalling force. We know that when we sin, we pervert, we adulterate, we destroy good things. By habitual practice, we let loose a great rolling momentum of moral and spiritual evil, not only for ourselves, but across generations. By doing such things, we involve ourselves deeply in what theologians call corruption. Sin corrupts joy. It kills joy. And the question this morning is, what sin in your life is robbing you of your joy. A second joy killer is others' sin and brokenness. And I think we encounter that when we ask the question, how could you? How could you? And it impacts us. My favorite example of that in Scripture is Joseph of the Old Testament. You know the story? Uh, abused by his family. His dad set him up. His brothers wanted him dead, sold him off as as, as a slave, you know the story from when you were a little kid. And it all comes to a head in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. Genesis 50, 20, it's often been called the 50, 20 principle of life. I would say this morning, the 50, 20 principle of, of rejoying, of God bringing joy back into your life. Take a look at it in the scripture around the story of Joseph of the Old Testament, where Joseph finally looks his brothers in the eye and he says this, two parts. He says, what you did to me, you meant for evil. In other words, how could you? How could you? My life took a turn in a way that it never should. This was not the way it was meant to be. But then he turns it on its heels and he says, but look what happened. God took that evil and made it good. What you did, you, you meant for evil. But my God is bigger than that, and he took that evil and turned it into good. What relationship or relationships are you in this morning that is killing your joy? A third joy killer, I'm convinced, is just circumstance. You know, when we ask the question, how could that happen? Like, what is that? Like, out of the blue, something happens. A great example of that, I think, is, is a story of, of Hannah. 
nothing she had done, um, but she couldn't have a child, and she wanted a child. She, she cried out to God so vehemently for a child. She's on the front steps of her, of her church, and essentially her minister, her priest, comes by and thought she was drunk. She was crying out to God so deeply. And her joy had been taken as a result of that. In anguish, reaping bitterly circumstance. It can rob us of our joy. And a question for you this morning is, what are you going through? What circumstance in your life is robbing you of your joy? A fourth joy killer, it seems to me, comes sometimes when we when we try to help another person along in life and it brings their pain becomes our pain. And that's a tough way to go. It's sort of like being a lifeguard, an untrained lifeguard, someone who's not prepared to go in and save someone because as you try, you don't know what you're doing and, and it can bring you down. You both can go down as a result. Elijah was a great example of that it seems to me caught up in everyone's pain and and sin of the world and and in the midst of ministry and he comes away exhausted physically and and spiritually to the point of wanting to just end his life and God meets him and ministers and restores his joy there are, are you trying to fix something for someone else or so worried about someone else in your life that it is robbing you of your joy this morning and then I was thinking, there's some, and, and maybe it's you that's one, two, three, or all four of those, or some others. It's like a myriad of things in your life that is robbing you, that is killing your joy this morning. I think of the psalmist. He lists so many again and again, and that can take our joy from us. And in the midst of that, we blame often God. You know, we cry out to God. Even though he would not want those things in our life, that it breaks his heart, the things that break our hearts. We, we blame God. We cry out to him, but at the same time we ask him, how, how could he? How could he allow this to happen in our lives? So many ways our joy can be removed. And if that's your experience this morning, if you are joyless this morning because of something you've done or something that someone else has done or, or through circumstances or, or because you think that God doesn't care or whatever, there is, there is good news for you. And it's embedded in that passage from Philippians 4 this morning. It's actually embedded throughout Scripture from the very beginning to the very end. And it's simply this, the Lord is near. He knows where you are. He knows. He is present through Christ. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, John writes. He pitched a tent right in your neighborhood. Eugene Peterson translates that passage. God knows where you are. He is very present in your life this morning. And because he is, you can cry out to him. Paul writes, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer 
and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. God knows what you're going through. He knows where you are. And because of that, he is very near to you. And you can cry out to him. You can speak your heart to him with prayer, with petition, with thanksgiving, knowing full well that he has your best interest at heart. And he will restore your joy. That is the desire of God's heart. It's very clear through scripture from the beginning to the very end. When our joy is gone, he is present. When our joy is gone, we, we can cry out to him and petition him and be in a deep relationship with him. And as that happens, Paul writes, he brings peace. He brings shalom. He brings joy. So often in scripture, peace and joy are mentioned together. Peace and joy. Peace and joy. Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, try to get a handle on it. Peace and joy. That will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Peace of heart. Peace of mind. Peace with other humans. Peace within ourselves. Peace with God the Father. Transcending all understanding. The incredible power that comes with that. It comes through the incredible power of Jesus Christ. This is not some wishful thinking. This is embedded in the heart of Christ who loves us so much he came to rescue us from those things that are, are stealing and robbing and killing our joy. He takes us where we are and he moves us to a point of living a life as it was meant to be lived. And so may you experience life as it was meant to be. May you experience shalom. May you experience joy as Jesus opens the doors and welcomes you in, you whom he delights. I want to close this morning with a, a story. If you've been around me, you've heard this story. I, I debated whether to use it again, um, but it fits so well, and I love telling it. So here it is. I, uh, a number of years ago, quite a number of years ago now, I was leaving at the end of, of a day here at the church, and I was at the, the, the far exit at the New Providence campus and, and uh, ha at Springfield Avenue to turn left to go home. And it was kind of dusk, and uh, I was lost in thought. And a station wagon drove past me heading out towards Berkeley Heights, and I kind of half saw it and half saw something on the roof, and all of a sudden it clicked what it was. It was a great big purse. And, and I flipped my turn signal on without even thinking to the right instead of the left and pulled in behind the station wagon that was moving on down Springfield Avenue. And, and as I followed it, I realized what had happened. Uh, the woman driver, she was the only one in the car, had put, left her purse on the car, you know? And we've all left stuff on the roofs of cars, Starbucks coffee or whatever, but I figured a purse, pretty important. So I'm pulling in behind her, flashing my lights, 
hoping for a red light. And how often have you ever driven down a, a street like Springfield Avenue here in New Providence and not hit a red light? I mean, that never happens. But this time it did. We just kept going and kept going. And I could see her kind of looking in the rearview mirror, and she did what, what the right thing. I mean, here's this bearded older guy flashing lights trying to flag her over. She, of course, didn't stop, and she shouldn't. You know, and and so I was hoping for a red light, as I said, and and I could just imagine afterwards, like here's a, a guy hopping out of his car, holding your purse, knocking on your window. If that had happened, well, we never hit a red light. And if you know Springfield Avenue on through Berkeley Heights, on the other side, there's this kind of bridge, and it kind of goes down, and then past the uh, Hall's uh, Nursery and such out that way. And right where it kind of dipped down. It was enough of a jolt to knock the purse off the car. And she just kept sailing right on. And so I pulled over. It was a big purse. And there was stuff everywhere. I mean, like lipstick and a wallet and just, it, it hadn't exploded, but stuff had fallen out. So I gathered it in, threw it in the car, uh, made a stop on the way home and walked in. And Amy go, looked at me and I remember Emily was home too. Like, why is Mike coming in holding a woman's purse? And I told her the story and gave it to Amy, and she started looking in there. And I kid you not, there was, there was like thousands of dollars in there. there. There was cash. There was traveler's checks. I mean, there was the bag was full of money, along with the lipstick and whatever else. So Amy finds her ID, and we track down her phone number. And I remember as I dialed her phone number, I... I remember thinking and saying to Amy, how would you like to get this phone call? You know, because by then she probably had realized what she had done. So didn't answer, didn't answer. Of course, she's out looking for uh, her, her purse probably. Eventually she answers. And, and you can imagine the reaction. And I told her where we lived and she said, my husband and I will be right over. And so they drove over and knocked on the door. The end of the story is this. She, she looked at me and um, she said, we're going to Hawaii tomorrow. That is our dream vacation in that, in that purse. And she was so grateful, you know. And, and she said this true line, which was just the best. She goes, I guess sometimes you get grace even when you don't deserve it. And I go, yeah, I, I guess so. And, and we handed it to she and her husband, and they walked off. Here's the point of that story, and there's a lot of ways you could use that, but here it is this morning. Um, I, I think many times I am that purse on the roof. I think maybe sometimes you are that purse on the roof. That is not where you belong. That is not the way it was meant to be, and the fact of the matter is that God knows where you are, and he, he may not fix it immediately. It may not work out exactly the way you had intended, but he is powerful enough to bring joy to your life, to take your life, which may not be the way it was intended to be, and make it exactly that life as it was intended to be. God welcomes us as we are, and he takes us to where he wants us. And in the journey and the story of our lives, he desires us to experience joy. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace 
as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May that verse from the Apostle Paul be yours as you launch into a new fall of opportunity. Let's, let's pray. Lord God, thank you for joy. Thank you for taking us and building joy into our lives through the power of your Son, Jesus Christ, who brings us new life, who loves us into eternity, and who brings joy here on earth. We are so grateful this morning. And we give ourselves fully over to you in Christ's name. Amen.